Well, good morning, everybody. Um, this is week five of our Gospel of John series, and I love, this always seems to happen, and I love that it happens even though we don't always plan for it, but it seems like when we do these long series looking at a specific book, it's always uh, the case that these themes or, or ideas emerge that start to weave themselves from, ser- from service to service, and it, it's happening, and I love that. Uh, it's 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 exciting to see themes of light and life and, and surrender and grace all through the Gospel of John. Um, so uh, John, as I've mentioned really briefly, just a recap, John is full of these very stark dichotomies. Uh, it's all light and dark and, and uh, life and death. And, and as we've seen these last couple of weeks, uh, there's a, a dichotomy of perishing versus eternal life. That's a, a dichotomy which we're going to talk about a little bit more today because it shows up in what we're going to look at. And so If you'll allow me, I'm just going to take a moment and just recap what that means when we talk about perishing and eternal life. Uh, In John, perishing, that word uh, in Greek, it's the word apalumi. It does mean death. It it means death, the death of something. But as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, it, it means more than just death. It means the death of potential the death of what might have been. Uh, it's like a loaf of bread that's gone moldy. That is apalumi. It is perishing. It has is, it is lost what it was meant to be. It was meant to be enjoyed, and now it's ruined. It's wasted. Now, according to Jesus, we are perishing, apalumi, when we live our lives completely focused on ourselves, right? When we are only paying attention to our own needs, our own desires, our own satisfaction, we are perishing because we were made for more than that. We were designed for lives uh, that were, well, what he calls a life of eternal life. Eternal life, which, which is also, you could call it the life of the age to come. And as I mentioned, this kind of life that we were made for is not just living a super long time after death. It is that, it is that, but it also includes uh, a new creation kind of life right now, abundant and peaceful and overflowing. It's true life that spreads life to others, right? That's eternal life. Uh, John 3.16 kind of captures it really well. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Now, as with everything in John, uh, the question here with the things that he's teaching are not whether or not the statement is true or false. John knows that they're true, right? From him, he's seen it with his own eyes. He's like, I know this is true. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? And today we're going to explore kind of another angle on this whole perishing eternal life dichotomy as Jesus teaches something that has become a very, it's a very important teaching, but it's also, it's very, it's challenging, and it actually gets a little bit weird and disturbing at some points, but he talks about being the bread of life, the bread of life, and so we're going to talk about that. So, Without further ado, let's dive in, grab a Bible, please, and let's turn to John chapter 6, verse 26. If you're going to use one of the house Bibles in the seats in front of you, it'll be page 887. Uh, we are going to get into this, into this passage. Uh, while we're turning, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll get into it. Father God, 
Thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for uh, protecting us last night. I, I was up at 3 a.m. with the tornado sirens going off, and I'm, I'm grateful, Father, that at least in our area nothing happened. Thank you for protecting us. Now, I pray now, Father, as we go to this, uh, this interesting, provocative passage, I pray that your Holy Spirit would prepare, prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say. I pray in these moments that I would disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. Would you speak truth because we're listening? We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so John 6. Uh, A little bit earlier in this chapter from what we're about to read, Jesus performs a pretty spectacular miracle. He feeds 5,000 people. The feeding of, actually, it's a lot more than 5,000 because that's 5,000 men, not counting all the women and children that might have been there. So what happens is they're out in the countryside. They're far from any good sources of food, and all the people are there, and and Jesus is like, all right, let's feed these folks. And the disciples are like, ah. I don't know how. How are we supposed to do that? Here's this kid. He's got five loaves and two fish, but that's it. That's hardly enough to feed even even the 12 of us. And Jesus takes that bread, and he takes those fish, and he starts dividing them up. And I don't know exactly how this would have looked and how it happened, but somehow 5,000 people got bread and got fish from him dividing all of these loaves. Uh, It's insane. It's incredible. And and it says this in verse 12. It says this of John John chapter 6. After everyone was full... Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Now, I draw your attention to this because that word, wasted, it's that same word, apalumi, perished, so that nothing is is perishing, okay? Uh, So he's fed people, Jesus has fed people miraculously, but he has fed them with bread that can perish, Okay, this is, I don't believe this is an accident that John puts this in here in this way. File it away because we're going to come right back to that idea in just a moment. Okay, so after Jesus feeds this crowd, well, they start following him around. They kind of go on this little uh, uh, chase all across the Sea of Galilee. This crowd is chasing him around looking for him. Now, they say it's because they want to hear his teaching but we all know what they really were looking for is another, another meal, right? They, they like this, this free bread, and so they were hoping for another, another little meal. And uh, here's what happens in verse 26 as they're basically asking him, like, hey, where did you get here? Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of hungry. And he already says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, well, we want to perform God's works too, so what should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Okay, so like I said, we were going to see that dichotomy again from John 3.16, and here it is, perishing versus eternal life. Don't be concerned, Jesus says, about perishable things, about apalumi things, but seek eternal life. Now, literally what he says here is don't work for food that perishes. And this idea of work is important. Uh, Most, if not all, of the people listening to Jesus teach were 
subsistence farmers or, or shepherds or, or fishermen. They, they essentially lived day to day to earn just enough to be able to feed themselves and their families for another couple of days. So life for these, these people, these, these lower class peasant farmers, was basically a constant struggle to survive, constantly looking to get another mouthful of bread from another day's work. But Jesus says, don't work for that kind of bread. Don't, don't work for the kind of bread that perishes, that loses its potential, right? Apollumi. Work for food that endures, work for eternal life. And they reply in verse 28, essentially, all right, all right, let's say we want to work for that kind of life. We want to do God's work. What, are, what does that look like? What are we supposed to do instead of just working for, for bread? And Jesus says, this is the only work God wants from you, This is the work of God, to believe in the one he has sent. So right out of the gate, in this, remember, a food insecure culture, talking to literally hungry people, Jesus is saying to them that this scramble for survival, this slaving away for another mouthful of food, is not the only way to live. It's not the only way to live. There's another way, the way of belief. Belief. But what does that mean? What, what is he talking about here? What, what, it, what does it mean to believe? Well, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. He goes on in verse 30. He says, believe in the one he has sent. And they answered, all right, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our, our ancestors ate manna while they had journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. All right, there's a lot there. Let's pause and talk about it. This passage actually looks a lot like what what we read last week with the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, In both cases, they take Jesus a little bit literally when he's talking about uh, true water, a a true spring of life, and, and as he talks here about the true bread of heaven, they take him literally, and at least at the beginning, they're both pretty concerned about their own physical needs, water, uh, food, nourishment. That's what they're paying attention to. But just like John 4, just like the Samaritan woman, Jesus is talking about something way bigger than just surviving another day, right? He's talking about eternal life, this this new way of living. It's interesting that the people bring up manna from heaven here uh, because Jesus takes that image and he really runs with it. Uh, If you're not familiar with the story, in in Exodus, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they've been uh, saved out of slavery in Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness. And as they're wandering, uh, God provides for them this bread. It's like like a dew on the ground that shows up and they can eat it. They can gather it and and they're able to, to, to eat. And it lasts for 40 years. They keep getting this bread every, every morning. Now, 
The thing about this manna that was so intriguing is that uh, it actually required a significant amount of trust, of trust, because if at any point, if the Israelites were to go out and try to collect more than they needed for that one day, then all the extra manna they got would get moldy and have maggots in it. So they weren't able to get more than they needed for one day. Every single day, for 40 years, they had to wake up and trust that there would be manna on the ground, that, fought, that, that their, their heavenly father would, pro, would provide for them every single day. That is a lot of trust. That's a lot of trust. And I think it's important that Jesus uh, builds on this, this concept because, remember, these Galilean subsistence farmers, they are, they're talking about manna from heaven because they're looking for another meal, another free, free, uh, free lunch. But when Jesus talks about manna, he's talking about that trust. He's talking about that posture, that, that lifestyle of trust. These farmers, they're saying, hey, hey, if you are who you say you are, maybe you can give us some lunch. Why don't you give us some bread from heaven, like the manna from, from long ago? And in verse 35, Jesus is saying, essentially, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. That bread from heaven, it's me. Do you trust me? Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, there's that word belief again. And I, I, I just want to say this, because it's easy for us to, to hear belief in, in our sort of modern Western perspective. We, we hear that word, and we immediately go to, to intellectual assent, right? We think about belief in terms of agreeing with some list of theological facts or something, right? So, so that we can go to heaven when we die or, or whatever. Like that's what belief means. It's all about in our mind. But think about the context here. Think about what Jesus has just said. He says he is the bread of life. He is this new manna from heaven. Now the Israelites never went hungry in the wilderness, right? That was the whole thing. God provided for them for 40 years, but they had to trust every day that God would provide, the work of belief that Jesus is talking about is not intellectual assent. It's not just some theological idea to agree with. It is a choice to live every day in trust, to live every day as if God actually will meet our needs, physical needs, emotional needs, relational needs. It is a posture of, of dependence and trust in Jesus to provide. Don't work for food that perishes. Belief, trust, it means surrendering our own self-sufficiency and trusting in something beyond ourselves. It means being nourished daily by what God provides, not what we can. That's what it means to believe. It's a matter of trust. Trust. Jesus is the bread of life. The question is, do we trust him enough to sustain us? All right, are you with me so far? Because this, I mean, again, it's about to get wild and even crazier, but I wanted to make sure we all got that baseline there. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about trust when Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. So now he's going to take this metaphor a lot deeper, and it's about to get weird, so let's go ahead and just read this. Skip on down to verse 47, uh, and he continues this concept. And he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. 
Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will not die. I am the living bread that, comes, that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and, the, and this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. And the people began arguing with each other about well, what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Okay, my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Anyone who feeds on me will live. Shooting straight with you guys, this is one of the most uncomfortable things that Jesus ever taught, right? This is very uncomfortable. It's very weird. It sounds like he's talking about cannibalism. And in fact, there were these rumors circulating in the early church. People thought that Christians must have been like cannibals or something because they talked in this way. This is weird, okay? It's okay to think that this is weird because it's definitely weird to the people who are there. I mean, just a few verses later, we see that a whole bunch of the disciples that were following Jesus at this point, they're like, you know what? Peace. I'm going to just go ahead and go ahead and make my own dinner because I don't think I want to be around for this part, right? They're leaving. They're, they're out. I'm not surprised. This is getting weird. And we might be tempted to do the same. I, I don't think we're going to like leave, walk out the room, but, but this is the kind of thing that we kind of recoil from because we're like, I don't even want to get into this. this. This sounds awfully weird. But hear me out, because in light of what we just talked about, this idea of of bread from heaven, Jesus inviting us to trust him to provide, this teaching about his body and his blood, it's actually really profound. So let's start with this. Let's start with this. What does it mean to eat his flesh and drink his blood? You may be thinking at this point about communion, about the Eucharist, eating the, the bread and the wine or the, or the juice that represents his body and blood. And you're right. You're right to think that. That is what this is about. Communion, if you're not familiar with it, it's a ritual that Christians have been doing, every Christian community has been doing since the very beginning. Uh, taking the bread and the wine, they represent his body and blood, and we, we take that. And Christians do it all over the world and have been for 2,000 years. Jesus taught his followers to do this. This was from him, him this was his, his own teaching. On the night that he was betrayed before he was crucified, he sat his disciples down and he, he did this ritual for the first time. But interestingly, that only shows up in the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That moment, that teaching moment, it doesn't show up anywhere in John. No, in fact, what we just read, that's it as far as how John talks about communion. This is how John captures the Eucharist in Jesus' teachings. So why would he do it this way? Why would he not spell it out a little bit more literally? Why would he talk in such really weird metaphorical terms? Well, I don't think that John is interested in the, the ritual itself. 
I think he's interested in what the ritual represents. What the ritual represents. He knows that the other gospels covered it really, really well. First Corinthians covers it really well. He wanted to talk about what this act of eating the bread and the, and the wine, what it represents. And what it represents is surrender and trust. Surrender and trust. The same kind of surrender and trust that Jesus himself displayed. And this is important. If you look at verse 38, for example, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. He's doing God's will, not his own will. Uh, Here in verse 57, he says, I live because of the living Father who sent me. His life comes from from the Father, not himself. Uh, Right after talking to the Samaritan woman, we, we didn't read this last week, but the next verse, Jesus tells his disciples, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Over and over and over, Jesus makes the claim that he is not living for his own purposes. Right? He is not working for, for his own satisfaction, his own survival. He is not doing the things that he thinks are right. He is not sustaining himself, toiling away every day for another mouthful of bread. No, over and over, he is submitting himself to the will of his Father, doing what God desires. And that, according to Jesus, that is what nourishes him. That's what keeps him alive. I mean, Think about what the, what the bread and the wine actually represent, right? We, we do this act all the time, but what does it actually represent? It represents the body and the blood of Jesus on the cross. That it represents his sacrifice, the ultimate act of, of surrender. It's the ultimate act of trust in God's plan. Uh, the Gospel of Luke captures what Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It's the ultimate act of surrender. And when we take the elements, when we take the the bread and the juice and the wine, we are participating in that surrender. We are being literally nourished by the, the act of surrender of Jesus. When we are nourished by his body and his blood, We are joining Jesus in what nourished him. And what nourished him? Surrender to the will of God. That was his food. That was his drink. That's what it means for us to feed on the body and the blood of Christ. It means being fed and nourished by his sacrifice and allowing his posture of complete surrender to become our own. That's what this act means. Not my will, but your will be done. Surrendering our own plans, surrendering our own desires, no longer perishing, but trusting in the bread of life to sustain us. But this isn't just something that happens when we take the elements. Like here at Grace, it's about once a month, right? That's not, this is not the only time that this happens. The act of communion It's a reminder that we are to be communion people every day. We are to be the kinds of people who who are nourished by the surrender of Jesus. Verse 57, he says, I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, 
Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. True life, eternal life, the life of the age to come in us, through us, now and forever. The surrender of Jesus can sustain us when we begin to live in that way. Now look, this is very heady theological stuff, right? This is like, whoa, I'm going to go have to take a long walk to even begin to process some of this, right? It is a lot to chew on, pun intended. This is insane, right? It's in these moments where it is very tempting. I'll be, I'll be honest, it's tempting for me as a teacher to want to just say, you know what, I'm just going to boil it all down and give you some, some Jesus-y life tips for the week, right? That's what I want to do, make it all super, super simple. But I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to do that because John doesn't do that. As he captures the teaching of Jesus, no, he goes deep and he, he presents the, the teachings of Jesus in a way that is meant to be wrestled with and chewed on and thought about and meditated on and discussed for a lifetime. That's what, he's, that's what he does, and so that's what I want us to do. I want us to approach this very challenging teaching and wrestle and wrestle. Now, in a few moments, we are going to take communion together. I mean, it's a pretty obvious passage to do that on. We're going to take communion together. Um, and I know that, that this is probably going to leave us with more questions than answers as we think about the, the body and the blood of Christ. But as we do this, this two millennia old ritual, I want to give you some things to think about in relation to what we just learned. Things to perhaps process in your own faith journey. Because this is not, uh, this is not a simplistic idea but it's an important one. So here's a couple of things to think about. Number one, if you are somebody who perhaps you've not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, if you are not there yet, you don't believe or you're not putting your trust in him, I want you to think about the life that you are leading right now. Those subsistence farmers that Jesus was teaching, they, they were looking for the next free meal because their number one priority was their own hunger and their own survival, right? Is that your priority? Are, are you caught in the, the daily grind, the endless cycle of seeking for your own satisfaction? Are you toiling away every day trying to make yourself happy or, or, or trying to make yourself rich? Are you in the grind and it's wearing you down? As we take communion as a community, I want you to ask yourself, is there more to life than this? Jesus sure seems to think there is. The question is, do you believe that? Do you trust him? Remember what what Jesus said to those farmers scraping by for another meal. This is the only work that God requires of you to believe in the one that he has sent. God has a vision for your life and it does not involve the hamster wheel of self-sufficiency. It's freedom from that. What would it look like for you to trust? Second, if, if you are somebody who does believe in Jesus, you do trust in him, maybe, maybe you're somebody who's been walking with him for decades, Right? You've been following him your whole life. I want to ask, and maybe we all ask ourselves this, how are we doing with the practice of daily surrender? 
Remember the manna in the wilderness. This is what God provided. He, he fed the people, but it required the people to trust. They had to trust that God would provide. So if, if you're somebody who follows Jesus, you've experienced the life of Christ within you. You've come alive. You've tasted the bread of life. You know what eternal life can mean. But are you still believing any lies about your identity? Are you, are you still trying to take matters into your own hand with that broken relationship? Are you trying to, trying to make it on your own at all? Have you allowed self-sufficiency to creep back in in any aspects of your life? As we take communion together, I want you to think about this. What would it look like today, today, for you to share the posture of surrender that Jesus had on the cross? Not my will, but your will be done. What is God calling you to surrender today? What does trust look like for you today? Because we are all on a journey. We're all on a journey. What do you need to surrender? Finally, if you are someone who has, let's say, fallen away from your faith, or, or, or it, your faith is, is kind of dull and lifeless, and it, it's been a long time since you've really felt alive in your faith, or perhaps you're somebody who is in a time of deep deconstruction, you're, 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 like I've said these last couple weeks, you're tearing down the walls of the faith you once had, and, and you feel lost and confused about things that once seemed so real. If that's where you are, believe me, I've been there. If that's where you are, I want to remind you of something. First of all, it's okay to be there. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to be skeptical. Those, those things, those, those urges within us to understand the truth, to, to um, get rid of easy answers and to really go deep, those are good things. But it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay in the rubble. It's not okay to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want you to hear me say this. Don't give up on Jesus just because you grew up with some uh, perspectives on him that are kind of weak and don't hold water. Don't give up on him. Don't walk away. Just a few verses after Jesus talked about eating his flesh, John tells us this. At At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 And he asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom would we go? The disciples were wrestling too, guys. This is weird stuff they had to, had to wrap their minds around, but they knew that Jesus had the words of life. They had experienced something that they could not deny. So if you are in a time of, of deconstruction, I know you wouldn't be here if there wasn't something, some, some spark which once gave you life. So as we take communion together, I want you to ask yourself, what was it that once nourished you? What was it that once nourished you? Because even though you may have a lot of unanswered questions, I believe that the bread of life can still nourish you today, can nourish you again. Do you believe that? 
So in a moment, we are gonna, we're gonna hear a song and sing, sing with Marin, and we're gonna take those elements. There's, they're by the door. If you haven't, uh, didn't pick them up, you can go grab those. You're free to take them as you are ready. The bread and the juice, which represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And as we do this, I'm just praying that God's Holy Spirit will speak to you, that you will hear exactly what you need to hear today. Let me pray to that end. Father, this is a challenging teaching because everything within us tells us that we need to be self-sufficient, that we need to work for our own ends, that we need to take care of ourselves. It requires trust for us to lay ourselves aside and go out and look for the bread of heaven every morning. But Father, we want to trust. We want to believe because we want the eternal life that Jesus promised us to well up within us. So Father, would your spirit speak clearly now as we remember what it means to surrender. Father, we invite you into this time and we pray this in the name of Jesus who showed us what it meant to live another way. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.